welcome back, everybody. My name is Sam Kirby. I'm excited to host another episode of Arts for All Kentucky Stories for you. Before we get started, we'd like to thank the Kentucky Arts Council and the Kentucky Department of Education Office for Special Education and Early Learning for making this and many other Arts for All Kentucky-related things possible. So thank you for that. Um, so yeah, let's get started. Uh, I'm excited to, to welcome you to the show. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, Sam. My name is Nicole Garneau. Give us a little bit of background on who you are as it relates to Arts for All. I am a teaching artist. I'm a performing artist and I'm a teaching artist and I am on the teaching artist roster for Arts for All Kentucky. I'm a new artist on the roster, so I'm learning a lot about Arts for All Kentucky um, I've done significant youth work in the arts for probably in 20, 30 years. Um, I haven't really thought of myself as an art educator. I've thought of myself as an artist who sometimes collaborates with young people. And that's remains my um, perspective because I don't have an education background. I have an arts background. Um, but I have also been, I'm on the teaching artist roster with Partners for Rural Impact, which is an Eastern Kentucky-based organization that does a lot of kinds of education in addition to arts education in Eastern Kentucky. They used to be Partners for Ed at Berea College. Um, so that's part of my background. Cool. So walk us through a little bit of your arts background. What, what is your, what is your medium of expression? Or I think we were talking before you do a lot of different sorts of things, right? Yeah, I have a background in theater. And so I still perform in theater and do a lot of theater work. Uh, in addition, you know, I, I am, I trained in dance. I don't know that I totally consider myself a dancer, but I definitely move still. And oftentimes to, you know, that movement includes choreography. Um, I also sing and play percussion. So I do a lot of different kinds of performative things. And then in, um, in my art practice, I've also been in really interested in performance that takes place outside of a theatrical context. So, Performances outside, performances on the street, performances in public that engage the audience, um, performances in unusual settings are really interesting to me. And now actually some of the theater projects that I'm involved in are theater projects, but they're also outside of theaters. So like theater in the woods, um, for example, or different kinds of things like that. I also make images. I love to collage. I love to draw or sketch and things like that. I am a writer. Sometimes I write material that I perform. And I also wrote a book um, called Performing Revolutionary, Art, Action, Activism. And um, the book Performing Revolutionary was about, it sort of took um, inspiration from a five-year performance project that I did uh, from 2008 to 2012, I did a five-year performance project where once a month I did an outdoor public performance that I called a public demonstration of revolutionary practices. So I was literally just researching what I thought revolution was and what other people might think revolution is through performance. And then I wrote a book about that process and its results and had some other essays, other 
critical essays that are a part of the book and photos and stuff like that. And so that that book is available on the book places. And then I recently recorded an audiobook of Performing Revolutionary. Thank you to a grant from the Kentucky Foundation for Women. I converted a closet in my house into a recording studio and hired a um, audiobook producer. And we made a really, really nice audiobook version of Performing Revolutionary, which is available on Audible. That's awesome. <laughs> it sounds like there's a a lot of things like you, you work not only generally you'll find somebody who is either in kind of your kind of, you know, studio art and, and, you know, writing and organizing and that sort of stuff or performing art and you kind of work in a, in both of those areas, but was, was performing art kind of the, the first thing for you and then the others developed or what drew you to performing art? Like in the first place, do you think? Well, I was always a kid that like loved art. I loved art class. I loved art activities. I did all kinds of art activities at home. I never really thought of that as like being an artist. I just thought of it as like doing things that you like to do. Um, but then as my training became more formal, I, you know, did a lot of theater. And then when I went to um, college, I did have formal theater training. Um, and then honestly, part of how I... Um, got involved in other part, other kinds of performances that I felt constrained by theater. I, I felt um, uh, for young actresses, there's um, a lot of constraints on how you're able to express yourself through your art because what you discover is like you learn all this stuff about theater and how to act and perform and make theater, but then a lot of the actual professional world of theater and film is about how you look and just about your image. And I was a young feminist. Now I'm a middle-aged feminist and I, um, wasn't really interested. I, I just got, I got less interested in theater. The more it seemed like, oh, this is just about how I look and not about anything that I can do. The more I kind of got mad at theater. So then I was like, oh, well, I don't have to do theater. I can just like write things that I want to perform and I can, um, find other people that want to make work and we can devise our own work and we can make our own kinds of performances. And I mean, I used to make a joke that like, if I was gonna not perform for very many people and not really get paid, I'd rather just be writing my own stuff and <laughs> like, and doing my own thing. I mean, we all artists struggle often, especially when we're getting established and stuff. I mean, it's never easy in the performing arts. But now I feel like theater has actually been, theater got influenced by more experimental forms of performance, in my humble opinion. And so theater actually has expanded into, to incorporate different kinds of performance. So now I find myself finding my way back into theater, which is kind of interesting in my life. But um, yeah, it was mostly just because I wanted to do what I wanted to do and there wasn't a place in proper theater for me to do the things that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. and, and expanding on that, I mean, the that experience that you had of people were just kind of going for a certain look or a certain sort of thing. I, I would wager we can probably make the same sort of connection with the traditional theater environment in terms of ability as well. Yes. That there's kind of a box that they're trying to, to check and it makes it hard to make a more opportunity for more people to be involved with the art form. So it sounds like that's something that you've had the opportunity to, to kind of help do over, over your career is to kind of provide these more 
these experiences for for people to really get to experience the arts in a way that you know traditionally they they might not be able to right i mean i think in our popular culture in in you know especially like in the united states in our popular culture we have a very limited spectrum of the kinds of images of people that we are willing to look at and think of as like beautiful and valid but it turns out uh the secret is when you expand the kinds of bodies that are able to be involved in arts and performance, it makes the art more interesting because it turns out people with a non-normative body or a non-normative way of looking or just like outside of that very sort of narrow band of what we consider to be beautiful are actually very interesting to watch live and in media. And so I think that... Yeah. And I think that's our work is to expand the possibilities for the kinds of bodies that are that we enjoy looking at and experiencing the art of. And that includes physical abilities. It includes ways of looking and ways of sounding and ways of speaking and communicating, too. You also expand the talent pool. And when you do that, you have more unique talent that kind of rises to the top when, right. when you when you get the opportunity to do that. So what what would you say initially inspired you to start working with youth or to kind of to, to steer that that direction with what you were doing? And what have those experiences been like? Well, when I was in my 20s, I um, I'm from originally from Chicago and I spent a lot of my life in Chicago. Um, and when I was in Chicago, I got involved in an organization called Insight Arts which it does not exist anymore, but it's people are out there. And um, we had a space in a church that was an active church, but it, the church had more building than it needed for church activities. So the pastor was like, let's get some arts programs in here and let's do some things. So we, you know, some of us young adult artists were making work there and rehearsing and making performances, but we were also teaching young people. And so I got involved as a teaching artist with them during the summers, teaching poetry, teaching performance. We really approached that work. Um, we really tried to view young people as, um, colleagues and collaborators. We also were able to employ young people as artists, which is a great thing I, that as part of a jobs program, it's great to employ young people as artists. And it also means that young people who may not ever have conceived of themselves as getting paid for something that comes from their brain, you know, need to actually learn what does it mean to be a professional writer? I'm being paid to be a poet. What does that mean? And then working those things out of like, how do we conceive of ourselves as, or how do we conceive of our work as deserving of pay? <laughs> so I did that. And then, um, I had another significant residency in Northern Illinois called, um, called the blue sky project, which, which took place in McHenry County, Illinois. And that was an interesting residency because they recruited, I think five grown art adult artists, but we were to propose a project that we could do that was legitimately part of our practice, but that um, 
but that we could, we're a project in which we could collaborate with young people. So it didn't mean we were teaching all summer. It meant that we were going to have, they were going to share our studio practice and we were going to set up a project that could incorporate the participation of high school young people. Um, so I did that. We did a very, uh, a conceptual performance project that was based on the um, uh, 17-year cicadas that were emerging that year in McHenry County and thinking about the 17-year time frame. Many of them were 17 years old, and so literally the last time these cicadas were out was the year that they were born, and now they were 17 and the cicadas are back. And then thinking about the future, a future that they want to believe in, and then making performances about that. Um, but really that project was, I'm very into like, I've done projects where I perform every day or perform once a month for five years. I'm into kind of time-based things. And I like the idea of performing every day just because it, it makes everything less precious. It means performance is also a studio practice. You go in, you try to make something, you make quick decisions, you go out on the street, you do it, you pack it up, you go home, think about it try it the next day, but it can never be replicated because those conditions can never be replicated. And so I, I'm interested in those kinds of performance strategies. So in, in that process, did you, what, what have you discovered about education or about, you know, I, one of the, one of the things that you mentioned that really stands out to me is that when you were talking about working with younger performers, you were talking about it being less of a you know, I'm the teacher and you're the student sort of thing, but more of a collaborative sort of thing. That sounds like a, an approach that's, that's kind of stuck with you. It has. And it's also quite challenging because most young people are not used to adults who think of them as collaborators. Our young people are used to adults that think of them as students and they're used to adults that are teachers that tell them what to do. So it's actually quite, it takes a bit of work to move past I'm the teacher and you're the student because it requires the student to take on a lot of more responsibility. They have, for to, their, make, they have to make active decisions exactly, in the process. Exactly. They have to be an active participant in the process and that involves greater emotional risk. I think it's, it pays off eventually um, but that's also from that's also something that I'm learning about. Like, how do I invite them into a process so that they can feel successful or some measure of success, even as they're growing and learning? So they don't have to be like all the way successful, quote unquote successful. You know, I mean, I need to like help them kind of take it step by step by step by step because the things that I do can be quite challenging. I mean, going out on the street in the middle of some random public place, people look at you like you're really weird. And I'm like, yeah, that's part of it. Everyone's looking at us like we're weird. What are we going to do? And we're still doing it. That's part of it. And also I've always found that a lot of the, a lot of the people that are young people that are attracted to art stuff or that tend to resonate with it often are people that, I don't know, are they outcasts? Are they people that haven't been successful in other traditional education settings? They might be struggling. And the arts 
in some ways like a, a kind of an art program that takes into account the humanity of the student can offer them a container for all everything that they bring with them. And that doesn't mean that I personally as a teaching artist have to deal with everything that they bring with them, but I'm helping them have a container for their humanity, for their struggles, for their real feelings. And then whatever they're bringing, I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm, that's real. So in crossing that bridge to getting them to be collaborative, do does it seem like they're waiting for you to give them permission sometimes? Or how, how do they give themselves permission to open up to, to you know, it, as opposed to waiting for the teacher to say, this is step one, this is step two, but to be able to openly answer the question, like, what do you think? Or how would you like this to go? Like, is there a little bit of encourage, initial encouragement it takes to get to that more that ideal collaborative scenario between, you know, your yourself and then students you're collaborating with. But since, since that's maybe a little different than what they're used to, where I'm the teacher, you're the student, does it take a little bit of, of uh, kind of nudging to get them to open up to then be actively participating in, in some of those things? Definitely. They're definitely waiting for me to tell them what to do. They're definitely waiting for me to tell them whether what they do is right or wrong. Uh, they're not really that happy when I refuse to do that. I mean, that's it causes anxiety <laughs> when you're used to a scenario. Because when, you want the quick answer. You yeah, want there's the a right way and a wrong way. And I like to do, I mean, I'm the same way. I love to do things right. I love to please the teacher. So, I mean, I believe me, I understand. And so then when you have this person that's just like, whatever you're doing or whatever you're offering seems fine. It can be very confusing. Sometimes they get a little agitated and then there's like a little bit of a breaking point. Like they can get agitated where it's like, well, what do you want me to do? How do I know if this is right? And then there's sort of this moment when the agitation rises up and that usually is the breakthrough because that's when I'm like, I want you to do what you want to do in this. I want you to make a choice. I want you to make the choice that's right for you. And guess what? I'm going to ask you questions about what you think that we should do. And then I'm going to listen to you and you're going to see that the work changes based on your input because I don't have all the right answers. And I'm actually part of collaborating is me listening to you all and allowing you to shape what is happening in ways that you can really see I am truly listening to you and truly taking your input. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between being, you know, developing the skills to be an independent artist versus just being able to paint by number is to be able to make those active decisions. Yeah. What, why do you think that, that I, and, and I guess maybe this is just something the arts can do that maybe other areas of education can't maybe do quite as well because like with, you know, math, for example, unless you're getting in a very, complicated calculus there's generally here's the right answer here's you know the, or whether something's a right or wrong answer but in the arts where the experience of it and the consumption of it is all rather uh subjective then that that whole navigation process that whole boiling point of frustration i mean you kind of get them to that critical like answering what are the arts sort of question rather quickly it sounds like mm. yeah maybe and I do, I mean, I also think that there's forms of arts that are more collaborative than others, right? Because if you're drawing or painting, that's often like an activity that you're doing with your piece of paper in front of you, which is 
I mean, no shade. I think that's also a beautiful process. Theater, by definition, is a collaborative process. You cannot make theater without bringing a whole group of people together who exchange ideas and do their jobs and rely upon one another. That's the other thing is that like a, a beautiful collaboration means that we actually cannot do it without each other. It can't be a thing. And that's when it's, it's like the need for each other is what makes to me is what makes it really beautiful. Like we are bigger than the sum of our parts this could never happen with any of us alone. Do you think that that very much like levels the playing field for students, regardless of their background, their ability when you're working with them, the fact that it's something that's, you know, everybody's very like, you know, codependent on each other and that sort of thing. Do you think that that helps level the playing field for students, regardless of their background? I think it can, especially if we as teaching artists are looking at who's in the room and making sure that everyone has a meaningful role to play, whatever that role is. And I like to do a lot of work. If I'm going to ask people to collaborate, I like to think of a lot of different kinds of jo jobs, quote unquote jobs. Like if we're going to make a performance, um, that requires performers, but it requires other people too. I have jobs like documenters. So if you don't want to be a performer, let's, I'm going to put you on a camera and you're going to be documenting, or I'm going to have you, there's a million kinds of documentation. You're going to document with your sketchbook. You're drawing what you see. Maybe you're taking notes. Maybe you're like a stage manager role where you're like kind of holding the whole container. Um, maybe you're, and, and that the thing, I mean, the thing that's beautiful about performance is like, literally you could find a good job for anybody given their abilities. Um, if someone doesn't speak, they can have a wonderful job. Like maybe they have a movement job and maybe they have a, a sort of a performance task that doesn't involve speech, but is also like very beautiful to look at so that everyone has a way of entering and being part of it in, in a way that's appropriate for what they're able to do. We think schools and theater organizations and, and other performing arts groups are starting to kind of become aware of this and adapt to this, that there are so many, because in, in that pursuit, there are so many roles. Are there, are there more opportunities opening up? now maybe than there used to be is the is the perception changing my sense of what is going on in education in the united states is that there's less opportunities for art making in general and uh one thing that i would say is that like yes it's great to hire teaching artists but there is never you are never going to make up for the deficit of an actual teacher who is a full-time employee in that school who does art activities. You're never going to get from a teaching artist what you could get from a full-time theater person or an English teacher who also has like a part-time job running a theater program. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you can't afford a whole theater person, but if there is an ongoing um 
professional in that school who has their eye on who, you know, people's artistic journeys and can keep those things going and learn about different students and see them along. That's amazing. And I don't really see that happening. I mean, I go to a lot of schools that don't have any art teacher, period. End of story. No, no form of art teacher. But they probably have a football team. Sure do. Sure do. The, yeah, the argument over what the A in STEAM should stand for. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there, there are benefits and, and, and plenty, you know, to being involved in a team sport. However, arts, especially performing arts is also a team sport and it's also potentially a lot more accessible than, you know, to, to people in varying ability versus putting on like a football helmet. Exactly. And I'm, I mean, uh, no shade to football. Yeah, it's I love great. football. People no, should yeah, play no. football if they want to. <laughs> but I agree that I think the arts have a lot of benefits, a lot of educational benefits, a lot of social benefits. I personally, I was lucky to go, you know, when I was in high school, there was an after school theater program that was taught by the English, two English teachers that directed shows and stuff. And it was, such a refuge for me socially, you know, if, if I wasn't feeling like I was successful in class or successful in what I believed to be the social milieu, theater was a different, it just was a different world. And it was a place where I felt uniquely like I could have some success. And it was such a a collection of oddball students and weirdos. I mean, I'm, I count myself proudly among the weirdos, but I mean, it also, yeah, the collection of weirdos that wants to come and make theater is such a beautiful group of students that may be honestly kind of struggling socially or slightly outcast or whatever. And why shouldn't they get a home? Why shouldn't they get an awesome activity to, to do and succeed at? Mm -hmm. So, and, and I'm just assuming that likely a lot of your friendships and relationships were within that theater program. The sure. people that you built the best relationships with in during your school experience were in, in that area. Yeah, because guess what? Especially as we have these more atomized education um, programs where everything's about individual achievement, things like theater, things like chorus, things like that are co collaborative art experiences are places where students are forced to work together and that that forges really good can forge really good friendships like if you go through this experience the highs and the lows of making a theater production together you you know you make friends and that's why those sports programs are often like really solidify friendships because you have to work together and that's that's you know, but there's art activities that are important for that too. There's room for plenty of both. Exactly. I was I was a band kid, so all of my I would say ninety five percent of my friends in high school were also band kids. Yes. Through through doing that, and I was not social like by ninth grade, but by the end of it, you know, it was very very formative. Yes. I'm, I'm glad I was a part of it. Yes, that's great. I I was invited to do a residency at a special school for children who are involved in um, the their their um, wards of the state they are they have foster parents or they 
okay, they're children who do not have any adult relatives or other adults that can care for them. Um, they also are children who have, usually there's a crossover where they've interacted with like the youth criminal justice system. So maybe they've gotten in trouble and stuff like that. So there's that like matrix of um, having a place to live and also getting in trouble in school and stuff like that. So it's a special school for them. Um, and they, you know, uh, invited me to come do a residency. I was like, great. I went and visited the teachers and walked around the facility. And at that point I was like, well, what kind of, I, I have things that I do, but like, why don't you tell me about things that you think would be fun for the students and might be nice for this, um, school. And this teacher was like, well, you know, I just think it would be really nice to do some beautification around the school. Like, you know, it, the buildings are quite drab. And, um, I thought, oh, that's a great idea. I, I knew other artists that had worked at this school. It's, I'm not the first person. Um, and, and so I, I was like, great. I thought, well, this is really wonderful because this teacher really has this great idea. And so surely if I'm designing a program around what the teacher thinks is a good idea, that's going to be successful. And so I designed this program. Okay. As an artist in my own practice, I love to work with numbers. So although yes, math is often a solitary activity, numbers themselves can be used for storytelling. Numbers are not just for math. Numbers are, have symbolic, you know, meanings. They have emotional meanings for us. You know, I'm sure you can remember the number of like the, first address that you lived in, like the house number, whatever that was, like when you were a little kid and you had to memorize your own address, that's always like a potent number or, you know, your first phone number or the year that you were born or the year someone important to you died or whatever it was. Um, and so I worked with these different, so I was like, well, we're just going to have this one beautification project. We're going to paint this, we're going to paint the, these, this one set of stairs and also we're going to paint some like columns that are underneath the stairs. And I was like, this is great. This is a very small area. We can just paint this area. And the wonderful thing is it's going to look beautiful from the outside. You know, if you're outside and you're looking at it, it's going to look great. But also if you're inside the building and you're looking out the classroom, you're going to see some of these bright colors as well from the inside to the out. And one of the rooms that was going to look out on these painted columns was the room where students have detention. And I was like, you know what? Just because you're in detention doesn't mean that you shouldn't have something beautiful to look at, okay? Maybe that's exactly when you need something beautiful to look at. We do this whole project. I talk. We talk about numbers. The students are talking about numbers that are special to them, and they're picking out colors. I've picked. Well, I've picked out the colors, but then I let them like decide what color was going to go where, and it was like blue and purple and green. And we only painted, you know, like the fronts of the stairs. So you know, but they and then they learned how to like how you have to mask things off. So there was like a, a level of like basic painting skills where you're, oh, there's the blue tape and you have to mask because we don't want to get it on the ground and we have to clean up our messes and then we paint this way and then we paint that way. And then I, we stens and then we ended up like stenciling some of the meaningful numbers, the numbers that were meaningful to the children themselves onto these stairs as a way of kind of like personalizing the work because these young people, I can't put their names out in the world anywhere. Um, 
due to various privacy regulations. So they were all like, I want to sign it. I want to sign it. And I was like, I, I'm sorry, you can't sign it, but you can stencil this special number for you. And you'll always know that that is like, that's what you did. You, that was your number. That's your, you know, work that you did. Took pictures, took video, made a beautiful like compilation video of the work. I was so proud of it. It was so emotional. The students are telling beautiful stories about what these numbers mean to them. And then I get a message from the school or from somebody at the school that they, as soon as I left, like probably the day that I left, they painted over everything. The entire thing was censored. And I was like, uh, what happened? What happened? What, what was wrong? And, um, the closest I can understand because no one at the school would talk to me about it. The closest I can understand is that unbeknownst to me, this facility is run by people that are, um, in a very, very conservative, uh, religious organization and they couldn't take the brightness of the colors quite literally, they did not like to see bright colors on their campus. Then what sort of beautification effort are they wanting in the, generally speaking, if somebody were to tell me, come in and beautify this, 50% of my brain is thinking color. Like we're going to, what, what color or what colors can we add? Like and thinking in that sort of direction. And so, but see, the teachers of the school were the ones that were like, we want beautification. The administration of the school is are people that are part of this extremely conservative religious organization. So they were two different bodies of people. So the administration of the school apparently was not in communication with this teacher who had the beautification idea. And when the administrators came out, they were like, oh, no, oh, absolutely not cannot have this 100% cannot have these purple, blue, and green stairs painted the entire thing gray. And at that point I was almost like, you know what? I can't be a teaching artist. I was so heartbroken. I've done all this beautiful work with my students all week long. I'm like, um, how do we show love to our school by beautifying it by, you know, and how just all of these things about like how great it is to show respect for your school by wanting it to look nice and, and, and how these numbers that represent people and things that you love are now on this stair and all, it's all about, you know, you and your putting your mark on something. And like that had been like my whole hype the whole week and they were really into it. And then their administration comes in and paints over the entire thing. Yes. I felt so naive. 
I felt like I had lied. I mean, I felt like the students must just think I'm a total liar because I've hyped them up on like how wonderful it is to positively influence your environment and how wonderful it is to think about numbers that mean love and, and talk about love and talk about relationships and things that we care about and, um, beauty and all these things. And then, yeah. And then, uh, it turns out, uh, no, someone can say actually no, <laughs> no. Uh, I, I was like, I, I don't know that I would truly was like, I don't know that I can go through this. I don't know that I can go through this ever again. I can't like ha go, I can't go in with all of my like big heart and then, and hype these students up about self-expression and somebody caring about their input and then have it destroyed. I can't have their work destroyed. I can't like be the person because also I just felt responsible for like, they didn't have to go through that. Like they didn't have to get into a thing all week long. They didn't have to get into an art project. They didn't have to think about love. They didn't have to do any of that kind of stuff. But in some ways, like, is it worse? Did it, did I make it worse by hyping them up all week and then having it be destroyed? Because really then the lesson is, um, anyone can take away your voice at any time. Anyone can destroy your self-expression at any time. There are powers beyond you and it doesn't matter what you love and what you care about. What a great message. <laughs> I was just, I personally was destroyed by it. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I, but, it was but very hard. conversely, so we can take us back to a positive <laughs> note to wrap us up. Okay. It probably does make some of the successful residencies that much sweeter though, right? In, in comparison. Yes. Where there's really been something lasting for, for the, for the school. So you talked about the worst one. What, what are some, what's some, one of the, one of the better ones. I really love this project that I was just working on. Um, I mean, which is a collaboration between teaching artists. So that's a fun thing where I get to collaborate with other people. And then I ask my students to collaborate with us. Um, this is a wonderful project in Hazard and Perry counties called the Healing Tree Project, which was started at um, a vocational, Hazard Vocational has a metalworking studio where they sometimes work with teaching artists that also work in metal. And after COVID, they, you know, there was this group of people that really wanted to do some, some have like a COVID memorial essentially that because Eastern Kentucky was one of the parts of the United States that was hit hardest by COVID. Um, that area of our country had some of the highest concentrations of COVID deaths. And um, so they can see a bunch of teachers and resource workers at the schools conceived of this metal tree that would be, they called this healing tree that was going to be this metal is going to be a metal sculpture. It's being finished now. And there's going to be a metal working element where students are able to make metal leaves. Um, but the thing that they, I did was, you know, not every student can get on the forge. I mean, we can't, have, we don't have the resources to get like a thousand students on a forge, um, making metal leaves. But I went around to all the schools that were participating in this project and I worked with them and they made paper leaves. So I, I gave them like a paper leaf cutout and 
art markers and we and I took them through a process where we thought about people who are important to us whether or not they have died. Now some people, you know, and how we honor the people that we love and the people that care about us and how we and then put their name on a leaf and then decorate that leaf. And so it could be about someone who has passed on for whatever reason. It could be about someone who actually helped you get through COVID, like who helped you with your homework when you didn't go to school or whatever it was. And and then kind of like literally had like a kind of a artistic ceremony process where students were able to make these decorative leaves and then talk about who was on them, who they were honoring and it got really quite emotional in the classroom for me and everybody else. And it was so beautiful. The students did such a great job. And I can't wait for the project to all come together. Like I can't wait for the sculpture to be finished. And then we can maybe do like projections of these leaf images because that's where the students are all like thinking about the particular humans. And then I'd have like the janitor of the school heard that we were doing like a COVID memorial kind of project and insisted on coming down and putting a name on a leaf and teachers in the school who weren't even in the classroom were like, no, I need to, I need to make one too. And then they would sit and decorate leaves. People would. And so I have like these, this beautiful collection of hundreds of leaves with images of leaves with beloved people of Eastern Kentucky on them. And it's been so nice. It was so nice for me to do that process. And I'm excited about the final result. So the message being that a supportive environment for the arts creates a much more impactful and lasting end result. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Goes a long way. So have you, have you generally enjoyed being involved with, with arts for all? Yes. Yes. And I'm really, um, I'm definitely getting a lot out of this whole conference and the, the sessions that arts for all Kentucky are presenting in this conference where they're talking about specific strategies in the arts that can help special ed teachers and teachers who deal with students of various abilities are yeah that's super helpful and interesting to me so i'm i'm excited about the future